0: got to rig this up. Okay. I hope this has battery power. All right. Galatians chapter one. I'm going to need a couple volunteers, actually three. And so how about, uh, how about we just uh, draft you? So uh, Nathan, uh, Jason, and Jared in a little bit. I need you to do something that's really going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Right now, I would say this out of the three. You need to decide who is the most balanced, coordinated. So. Well, just have to pray about it here. Galatians 1, if you are able to stand... Go ahead and look at this. So we started this last week, and of course, the apostle Paul, as he is uh, writing the Galatians, there is an issue that has arisen in among the churches in Galatia. These churches, uh, many of them, are made up of Gentile believers. Gauls is what we'd call them. And any of you that are familiar with history, when I think of Gauls, I think of Europe. I think of The Romans conquering the Gauls, the German territory, and Yugoslavia, even into Russia. But there were Gauls that had migrated uh, east, southeast, not just west. And these are the people that the Apostle Paul, uh, and most likely uh, Barnabas, first time around, uh, helped bring Jesus Christ to. And many churches were established there amongst them. And so they, uh, they received Christ, they assembled together, and uh, all they had initially were the Old Testament scrolls. Paul encouraged them to learn those, and of course that brought in Jewish people, they would learn, and uh, no doubt they were, they were uh, what we would call messianic Jews, Jews that had received Christ their Savior, that had joined these churches. But it wasn't too long after Paul left. If you can kind of visualize this, um, maybe I should read first. That that way you don't have to stand the whole time. I'll come back to this. Look at verse 6. I marvel that ye are soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be, what's that word? Now that's a serious uh, warning. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. He repeats himself. Or do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We pray that the Spirit of God would touch hearts this evening. I pray that you'd help people to understand your word. And Lord, the truth from this passage, there are multiple truths, but I pray that you would give light to all of us as we review this, as we look over this. And may it be, uh, may you speak to every need in the room. I know that you are more than able to do that. May we all have an ear to hear what your spirit has to say. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so let me go back here and kind of tell you, is this, am I on? Is this good? Okay. So if you can visualize the Apostle Paul, going, he and Barnabas going into this region we'll call Gaul, uh, Lystra, Southern Asia, in uh, <clears throat> reaching these barbarians, Scythians, and and such, with the gospel, and they—I mean, this news that they could be redeemed from an eternal hell—they their own consciences bore witness with their sin, let alone Paul preaching the truth. And when they heard that there was a means of salvation through this man named Jesus Christ. They latched on. And guess what? When they called on Christ, he received them. It's a beautiful thing. It's a mutual thing. When you look to Christ, uh, he's already been looking at you. And when you reach out to Christ, believe me, friend, he's got a hold of you. And when your grip gets weak after that, his never gets weak. He said, you're in my hands, I'm in the Father's hands, and no man can pluck you out of my hand. Psalms 37, 23, 24, many of you are familiar with it. We sing it. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholdeth him with his hand. It's a beautiful psalm because we're not good because we never fall. That's not the thing. The very psalm itself says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, but though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. Well, what made him good? It wasn't his own righteousness. It was his faith in the justifier. Now, back in the Old Testament, they looked to the cross. They looked forward to the cross. We looked backward to the cross. But it was the same redeeming plan for all man. And so, these Gauls had received Christ, and Paul uh, set them up in assemblies in different locations and encouraged them to meet together on a regular basis. That They're called churches. The churches of Galatia, those are local churches, okay, where groups of believers gather together. This is God's plan. He encouraged them to assemble together on a regular basis to keep each other encouraged, to learn the Word of God, to share prayer requests, and serve the Lord and be witnesses. Okay, that's what the purpose was. And so he encourages them, and so Paul sets church after church after church up, and then they move on. He'd made a visit, a return visit. He noticed a few things that weren't right, but I'm sure when he was there he took care of it. But when he leaves them, he gets word that some Jewish so-called believers had come in. And basically, well, they came in and they agreed with what Paul said to a degree, But they said that's not enough. And they also undermined Paul's apostleship because Paul wasn't one of the original. And they tried to undermine that. That's why Paul is so direct here. It's interesting because uh, typically in the letters that Paul wrote, he gives a salutation. And then he gives thanks for what these churches are doing or what he knows about them. Not so with Galatia. Not so with the churches in Galatia. He immediately uh, gets to the issue at hand. He immediately deals with the problem. It is on his heart. So we're going to jump into this. Uh, Let's see if I can make this thing work. If not, you'll have to operate it from back there. Well, look at there. It does. Okay, so by the way, don't get used to me doing this. Don't get used to me doing this. All right. Every now and then I have time to do this extra work, and Shannon, praise the Lord, puts it up there. But uh, I need liberty to not have to do this now and then, too. All right. So, verse six look closely. I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. We're going to look at the surprising departure, and I'll tell you something else surprising. I alliterated all of this. That is going to be surprising to you. I. Bree, I did it just cuz you're here. Just yeah. I obliterated all of this, okay? Now, Paul immediately his his response right after he gives them the salutation of who he's with and uh he lets them know I I marvel. I'm surprised. The word marvel there means surprised. I am absolutely surprised. That's a little more uh emphasis there. I marvel that you only see that word marvel a few times in the Bible. Jesus marveled on two different occasions. Once when there was great faith, once when there was so little faith, and he expected more. But Paul marvels for a couple reasons here. Uh, It's surprising because of how soon they remove themselves. Now, this could could uh, imply... How soon they removed themselves after Paul's departure? How soon they removed themselves after they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and received it? Or how soon they removed themselves after these people from Jerusalem showed up and decided to give them more to the story of salvation? Could be all three of those things, but that final point, I believe, is a definite. Paul is shocked. They were in a good place, in a safe place, in a secure place spiritually, and they have left that location, and I'll explain here. It's, he marvels, he says, I marvel that you're so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel it is surprising because of who and what they left left Uh, did you catch that I marvel that you're so soon removed from not what but him did y'all catch that that's important because that's Jesus Christ they don't even realize it and I'm here to tell you ladies and gentlemen people I mean good people I'm going to give them the benefit of that. We can be removed from fellowship. Not relationship if you're saved. But fellowship with Christ. And not even be mindful of it. But see, we are known by our fruit. Hello? And where does our fruit display itself? Through our words and our behavior, right? That's where our fruit displays itself most often. And so, Paul is absolutely surprised at how soon they remove themselves and of whom they remove themselves from the one that called them into this grace. Now, next, look at verse 7. Why did they remove themselves? He says this. Let me, I need to tie these together. I marvel that you are so soon removed from Him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. That word there at the end of verse 6, another, that word is different than this word, verse 7, which is not another. You see the two anothers? They're not the same Greek word. So, the first another is, means strange. It it not just different but opposing. Kind of like from light to darkness. Kind of like from strength to weakness. Kind of like from stability to insecurity. Okay, that's what we're talking about there. Uh kind kind of like from human to alien. Okay? All right. So, the other another That would be like, uh, it's similar, but different. It's not Coke, but it's Pepsi. Something like that. But Paul says, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So this strange doctrine, let me explain this. So... uh, In order to understand the strange doctrine, you've got to understand the true gospel. And it has two aspects. And these are the two aspects of the true gospel. The true gospel has the aspect of the facts. You can finish it. The death, the burial, and the what? That's the gospel in the facts category. Okay, now I would add a little more detail. I would say the death, burial, and bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 through 5, Paul says, I declare unto you the gospel. As a matter of fact, that's only a couple pages away, or just a few pages away. Flip on over there if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians 15, one through 5, I want to do this quickly. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. That's important. If ye keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the 3rd day according to the scriptures and i want to read this as well and that he was seen of cephas that's peter then of the 12 and that he was seen of above how many 500 people saw the resurrected body of jesus walking and talking on planet earth after he'd been crucified after he'd been buried That many people saw him. That's like undisputable evidence, right? So these Judaizers that would have come into the churches of Galatia could not dispute that. They weren't that far removed. Are are you with me? From the historical moment that Christ had uh, risen from the grave and the 500 had witnessed him, seen him, some of them touched him, Uh, They weren't that far removed to dispute that fact. You know, unsaved people believe that fact. Are you aware of that? There are unsaved people that believe that fact. Now, the interpretation, this is the other aspect. Well, Why did he die? Why was he buried? And why did he rise again? Well, Paul said it there a little bit in 1 Corinthians 15. He died for what? Our sins. Our sins. Okay, just to kind of... I know this is Wednesday night crowd. I think you've got this, but if he didn't die for our sins, guess who would? We could all say me. Yeah, don't, no, no, don't, don't just say pastor, uh, you and you. See. If he didn't die for my sins, I would have to. The interpretation of that, of the reason he did that, was he did it for me personally. Personally. It, it, he had to... I, if I didn't have him do that, then I'd have to... And then he rose from the grave as a declaration that death had been conquered. If he never rose, there would have never been any proof. At least to the, those that were living. Well, did he die for us or not? I don't know. Where'd he go? I don't know. He's gone. But he up from the grave he arose with a mighty triumph for his foes. He arose a victor of the dark domain, and he lives forever in my heart to reign. Now, the, he did that to declare that death has been conquered. Yes. Sins have been paid in full. And then he would tell the disciples, as I have done, so you need to do in regards to teaching and preaching the gospel. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel, this message, what I just did. But people need to understand why, because they need a Savior. But good news, the word gospel means good news. And it's only good news if, you, if it's free. That's what makes it good news. And so, this is a strange, another gospel Paul said, which is really not another, because it's no gospel at all, if it's up to you to get to heaven. Oh no. The strange doctrine. <clears throat> the reason Paul calls their teachings a strange gospel is because it calls for them to put confidence in their flesh along with the finished work of Christ. Think about that. There are churches in our town that do that. There are churches all over the country that do that. We call it works plus faith salvation. But let's just cut to the chase and be honest. If you add works to faith, it's no longer just faith. It's works. Well, well, what percentage? Well, like 50-50. Really? We're going to... Nip that in the bud here in a moment. It removes them from security to insecurity, from truth to error, from Jesus to their flesh in regards to their dependency. We cannot place our dependency on two things that are separating. Here we go. Uh, Brother Jared, Brother Jason, and Brother Nathan. Come on up here. All right, yeah, two chairs, two chairs. We need two chairs. Who can handle falling? <laughs> Jump up there. Okay, okay, so you can face the crowd. All right, we're going to call Jared uh, Grace, and we're going to call Nathan the law. In order, what, what uh, these people were doing in these churches, they were saying, so Paul got them here initially. He said, this is what you, you need to put all your faith on Jesus. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. But these people came in and said, oh, no, 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 no. You need the law. And by the way, grace does not diminish the purpose of the law. No, no. The law is it, it, just because we have grace does not, God didn't say, well, we don't need the law anymore and just get rid of it. Are you kidding me? We need the law because it's a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. And then it's a means of us that are saved to identify ourselves. But it is never a means for us to earn our way to salvation. I don't need to say that again. But these Judaizers came in, and they said, uh, oh, you need to put your other foot over there. Because we believe in the facts that Jesus Christ died, was buried, and rose again. Right here, we believe that. But, you know, we're, we're the chosen people. And uh, you need to obey this. Because, you know, the law came from us. And so what happens, because... In order to do that, you have to depend upon the ability of your flesh to keep the law. How many of you discovered that's kind of hard? Yeah, that's kind of hard. Here's a a visual, obvious reason that we can't do both. If you will slowly, slowly pull the chairs apart... Okay, pause, pause. (laughs) You aren't taking your flesh to heaven. In my flesh dwelleth no good thing, said Paul. He also said the flesh profiteth nothing. Oh, no. Jesus said it is the spirit that quickeneth. Oh, yes. Paul would say, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this sin? Then he'd go on and say, I thank God that through Jesus Christ. This is how people feel who are trying to earn their own salvation. And then sometimes they just give up. They give up on God. This isn't going to hold out. Because if you keep pulling, you're going to land one way or another aren't you? (laughs) Now, if this was uh, the eternal flames of hell right here. You don't want to go there, right? And let's just see where you land as they pull these chairs. Where are you going to go? Oh, man! So who did you, you never really did have your dependency here, did you? And then you discover this certainly wasn't enough. I'm here to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, there are a lot of people going to die and go to hell who think they can earn some of it, and yet they'll tell you, yeah, I believe Jesus died for me. But they don't have their dependency in Jesus. Now, if we had a do-over, if we had a do-over, and you know this is Jesus, and this is your flesh, and maybe you got caught up in some of that. Go ahead, and maybe go ahead and put your foot there for a minute. Maybe you started hearing this stuff like, you know, just hold on, hold on to the faith. Don't, I mean, you don't want to lose your salvation now. Just got to hold. But you know, we believe Jesus died and paid it all. It Doesn't even make sense if you think it through. But it, you know, you got you got to get baptized and make sure you make sure you're living that life, okay. And they, and they pull, and they pull, and they pull, and they pull, and they pull. And this time, where you, yeah, eventually you get to the point to where I can't do it. I can't make it. I'm either all in here or I'm not in at all. Amen. You all with me? A lot of people come to the end of their rope, and they realize, I can't. It's not up to me. They're, they're fully honest with their own conscience. See, it's a strange doctrine because it divides, it distresses, I mean, it destroys. And it it can seep right into good churches that preach the gospel and you start pushing works, pushing works. Listen, we work because of grace, not for grace. We've got to get that hammered in our head. And is there some effort to produce fruit? Is there some discipline in our own lives to grow in grace? Well, yes. But there's never a need for effort to earn your salvation. Not once. Not at all. The moment you received him, you became his. The problem is, though, people that get caught up in that and they start believing it, they start acting like it. And you know what happens when you start glorifying the flesh? You, become, you become, become ruled by pride. You get hypocritical. It's easy to look down at people for the very sins that you do. It's easy to exalt self. Look at me. Look what I've done. And so, this is why Paul is so concerned about this so-called other gospel. This strange... This is why he said, let him be accursed. If he preaches." Go ahead, and you guys. You can put that back. Got a few minutes. So... We cannot place our dependency on two things that are separating. And is our flesh going to be separated from our soul eventually? Absolutely. And everything that goes with it. Whoops! I need to go back. As the Galatians shifted their thinking, they also shifted their dependency off Christ. Did you all get that? This is so important. There's, I believe this is, this, is, this is a guess. This is my opinion. It's just my opinion. I believe there are more people than you think and I think that attend churches like ours that are not saved. Because deep down, their dependency is not fully in Jesus. Deep down, their dependency and and these are the things that go through their head well maybe I'm not saved because I'm not living it so I got to live it well I'd say well I'm glad you feel guilty about not living it but the reality is that tells me you don't understand salvation because there was nothing I could do to earn it but accept and understand, I'm a sinner who needs to repent and turn to him and let him change me. Now, does that give me a license to do whatever I want? Uh, I've learned that the father knows how to correct his children. <laughs> he sure does. So, as a matter of fact, how did this get in there? Turn over to chapter 11 of 2 Corinthians real quick. we got a few moments. How did this doctrine get in there? Who, hey, who would plant such divisiveness in a church? I mean, where would, that, where would the origins of that be? Well, let's let the Bible explain it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, look, look at verse 13, 2 Corinthians 11. For such, a false, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of what? And no marvel, don't be surprised, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Can't you just see them as they come in and say, "You know, I know what Paul said, and I agree. I, Jesus,, yeah, there's no doubt he died, buried and resurrect, resurrected. over five hundred people saw it. Can't dispute that. but you know, there's just a little more to this idea of being right with God, and earning your way to heaven, you know? Uh, that's danger zone, yeah, yeah, and nowadays it's, well, you've got to get baptized too. That's part of the completion factory. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. Uh, what about the fellow on the cross, right? Lord, remember me. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Wait a minute, though. Let's got to get you off here and get you dunked. No, that didn't work. Well, I had one guy say, well, that's a different dispensation. I said, it is, huh? Well, how come it tells us that Abraham was justified by faith without works? And he was Abraham was long before that fella. That was a different dispensation, too, didn't it? goofballs. All right. Next, we're making good ground. Um, the solemn declaration. See how I alliterated this? Now, I, listen, I'm not going to alliterate just to do it, but it actually worked out. I think we. I was able to make it work. Verse 8 and 9 of Galatians. Galatians 1, 8, and 9. But though we, Paul says, but though we Or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, uh, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. I mean, there's twice, right at the get-go, right in the beginning of the letter, Paul says, let him be accursed. You know what that word means? This means let him die. How many of you remember the story where Jesus and the disciples are walking into the Jerusalem just outside the temple? Jesus, the Bible says, was hungry. He saw a fig tree, and as he approached it, there was no fruit on it, leaves only. What did he do to that fig tree? He cursed it. They went out into the temple. When they came out, what did that fig tree look like? It had wilted. It was dying. That's what Paul's saying. That's pretty heavy-duty Warning for false teaching. Every preacher, every teacher needs to be mindful of that. And how do do we get mindful of that? Well, we better be sure about our own own salvation. We need to have this grasp, understanding of uh, the distinction between uh, grace and works, or faith and works, grace and the law. To understand we are saved by grace through faith. Not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Man, that sounds like a Bible verse. I mean, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. That sounds like a Bible verse in Titus three five. It's because all over God's Word... The New Testament clarifies the plan of salvation. Uh, You know what, though? Turn over to Romans chapter 4 real quick here. You got a moment? Romans 4. I mean, we're near the end. I don't have a whole lot of exciting stuff coming up, so I might as well hang out here for a little bit. Romans 4, 5. I'm teasing. Look at Romans 4. Look at verse 5. Romans 4, verse 5. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. Wait a minute, who's that? Who justifies the ungodly? Anybody want to guess? It's all right. If you say Jesus, you've always got a good chance of being right. Y'all agree? That's exactly who it is. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted. His faith is counted. For what? It didn't say his works. His faith. His faith. Okay, we read on. Look at verse uh, 6. Even as David also describeth the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works. Imputeth. Means to put to one's account. You mean God would put righteousness to somebody's account without them having to work for it? That's what the Scripture says. How does that happen? When you put faith in Jesus, understanding you're a sinner, and you, you can't make it without Him, God puts it on your account. He fills up your debt column with the righteousness of Christ. Verse 7, blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Whoa. Well, how do I get on that ticket? How do I get in that boat? Well, the same way. Jesus. Jesus. The death, burial, and resurrection. And Jesus paid it all. and All to him I owe. Sin hath left a crimson stain, but Jesus washed it white as snow. All right. So, the solemn declaration, that's pretty serious. You know why? It's serious because if they allow that stuff in, people die and go to hell with the wrong message. Because people put their dependency in the wrong thing. Yeah, but I believe in Jesus, and you're putting your dependency in your works to get you to heaven, though? Hello? That sends people to hell more so than alcohol, adultery, and lying would ever send people to hell. And those things are wrong, those things are destructive. But what sends a person to hell is where your dependency is. Is it in Jesus Christ? Or is it in you? Well, you know, I'm trusting the Pope. That's ridiculous. Because he's going to be dead and gone. They're going to have another one. He's going to change things up and add some things. No, no. So who is he referring to? Who is going to be accursed? Anyone who perverts the gospel. The last point. Look at verse... Well, look at verse 9. As we said, therefore, so say I now again. If any man preach any of the gospel, I already read that. Look at the last point. Verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. This is just a powerful passage of Scripture that could be a sermon all on its own, but I want to go through the book of Galatians, and I want to keep it connected. So why does Paul say this here? Why does Paul say this here in verse 10? Remember, the issue at hand is they have removed themselves from the true gospel. And as a result, they've removed themselves from Him. Uh, When you and I take our dependency off Jesus, even if we're saved, even if we're saved, we remove ourselves from Him. Are you with me? Okay, okay. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it is impossible to... By the way, that faith is not in yourself, in your strength. That faith is not in your church. That faith is not in in some human. That faith is in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, without me, you can do. That's exactly what he said in John 15.5. And therefore, that means I need to have both feet. On Jesus. That doesn't sound right. I need to have my all on Jesus. Full dependence. That's what that means. You can wake up tomorrow morning and know, well, I may not be what I would like to be, but I know where I'm going because of Jesus. And I know why I'm going there. And I know because of Jesus, He's going to change me. He's going to work on me because Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to make it happen whether you like it or not. Here's what's scary. The people who have never really been born again, and then they maybe just jump all the way over, and then nothing happens to them. There's no chastisement. And they linger on in life, and we say, wow, they were in church, but they seem like they can get by with all this stuff in the world, and it never bothers them. Nothing's happening. We don't even know if they're saved. We don't. Uh, They show no fruit, and they show no chastisement, anything like that. But it's not up for us to know. It's up for them to know. That's the most important thing. Now we look at this verse here the servant decides. The reason I said that is this. Paul says, For do I now persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Paul knew, number one, he knew that people accused him of waffling of trying to be a pleaser of men. As a matter of fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I I am all things for all men, that I might gain some. Hear me? You know, Paul said that himself. We read the book of Acts, and it looks like Paul even kept the feast days, and he kept some vows and things like that. We said, well, look at her, Paul. Who do you think you are? And Paul understood why they were saying these things, but he also, let's not forget, it was also Paul who was willing to speak the truth Regardless of how they felt, and regardless of how they beat him, and regardless of how they scoffed him, and regardless of how he went to jail. He was, so uh, the way he endured suffering reveals, no, he wasn't doing it to please men. He was doing it to win men. To win men to Christ. He wasn't sinning. His actions were to help people feel comfortable in his presence to present the gospel. And if they would listen, receive, and grow, then they'd realize, if they learned from Paul, wow, I don't have the burden of the law hanging over me anymore. So Paul says this. I'm, he says, I can't, I'm not looking to persuade men. I, or pers- I, I want to please God. But I believe he also says it for this reason why is it that these people went from full security to instability? Was it because they wanted to fit in with the crowd that so-called knew what they were talking about? They wanted to fit in. You know, because the world's crowd will always outnumber our crowd. I can live with that. I'm fine with that. I know it at advance, and if we have the attitude, well, you know, I I just want to fit in, and I understand people want to fit in, people want, I understand that, I do, but the servant decides who the master is here because, or let me put it like this. The servant decides, but the servant reveals who their master is. You know, when Gehazi took the money from Naaman, Elisha was no longer his master. I'm not going back to tell you the whole story. You know who his master was? Himself. But you know, when Joseph was being threatened and uh, tempted... In a strange land with nobody around but God and Potiphar's wife. And he said, How can I sin against God? Well, it didn't take long for us to find out who his master was, even though he worked for Potiphar. You see, who we desire, who we seek to please, who we seek to please always reveals who our real master is. It does. Now, are you going to please yourself now and then? I know you are, and I am too. But there'll be times when, uh uh-oh, to please myself might cost me my relationship with Christ because I want to fit into this crowd. I want to be entertained by this crowd, and then we've got problems. Y'all got that? We can wrap it up then. Lord, may you bless the service. Thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your grace. I pray that your spirit would help us, Lord God, to be mindful of where our dependency truly is, to understand the need to grow in grace, to work not for our salvation, but to work to present our salvation to others. You said in your word in Philippians 2 to work out our own salvation, not work for. We can't work out that which is not in us. But there is some labor in walking with you, honoring you, just as there is labor involved in developing relationships with other people. And yet we're grateful, Lord, that we can be saved by your, your grace and kept by your hand. May you bless this invitation with our heads bowed and eyes closed. If this evening maybe the Lord spoke to your heart and you just say, pray for me, preacher. I, I've got some things on my heart and I just ask for prayer. I, I, I'd like to pray for you. Anybody like that? God bless you. God bless you. Lord bless the folks that have raised their hands. Encourage them. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Brian, come on up.